Well, tonight we're going back to the book of Zechariah, and I want to talk to you about God's most precious possession. And if you'll notice, I'm going to start again with that quote that we used last week, where A.W. Tozer said, what comes to mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. And I can't emphasize that enough, that what comes to mind when you think about the Lord, when you think about God, that's that says everything about your life. That says everything about your potential. That says everything about your future. If you see God as a God of scarcity, then automatically you've limited your life. If you see God as a sugar daddy, then automatically you're going to be disappointed. But if you see God as the Almighty, as a God of abundance who wants to bless you, then you know that life is full of possibilities. And you know when hard times and troubles come, you can swing across hell on a rotten corn stalk. You're going to make it. Not because of what's in this world, but because of who you are in, and that's in Jesus Christ. So Tozer really makes that point about what comes to mind. So let's go back tonight to Zechariah chapter 2, and we're going to start with verse 6 this evening. The Lord says, come, come away, flee from Babylon in the land of the north. Now, I know Babylon is to the east, but the way, if you look at any of the maps about the children of Israel, when they were dispersed, they went north. And then they went around this mountain range, and then they came down uh, to Babylon. So that's the reason the Bible says to the land of the north. For I have scattered you to the four winds. Come away, people of Zion, you who are exiled in Babylon. After a period of glory, the Lord of heaven's army sent me against the nations who plundered you. For he said, anyone who harms you harms my most precious possession. I will raise my fist to crush them, and their own slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. And the Lord says, shout and rejoice, O beautiful Jerusalem, for I am coming to live among you. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day, and they too will be my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies sent me to you. The land of Judah will be the Lord's special possession in the Holy Land, and he will once again choose Jerusalem to be his own city. Be silent before the Lord, all humanity, for he is springing into action from his holy dwelling. Before we get started tonight, last week we looked at how that in Zechariah chapter 2 is the only place that Israel is referred to as the Holy Land. We looked at how some of these prophecies, like the city without walls and all the nations being added to it, would not be fulfilled until the millennial kingdom. But there are some things that I think we need to look at because God made three distinct promises to Abraham in what we call the Abrahamic covenant that have never been revoked. Three distinct promises. And to kind of help you with this, I broke out, I don't normally do this because it reads better, I think, in a paragraph form, but I broke out the verses for you. So let's look at Genesis chapter 17. In verse 4, this is my covenant. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful, and your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant everlasting covenant, I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you, and I will give you the entire land of Canaan where you now live, where you now live, look at this, as a foreigner to you and your descendants, 
It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. Three promises there. People, in verse 6 through 7, God speaks of his descendants. So you might want to circle that word descendants in your outline tonight. The second promise is relationship. In verse 7, I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So God is promising Abraham a relationship with himself. Now, this is long before the law. And this is perhaps one of those promises that you and I can really lean into tonight um, because we want that relationship with the Lord, and we have that relationship through Jesus Christ. But then there's a third promise, and that's in verse 8. I will give you the entire land of Canaan. So circle that phrase, the entire land of Canaan, where you're now living as a foreigner. Now, I'm just going to be real honest with you, and I hope that this doesn't offend any of you, but people and relationships, that means a lot to me. I don't want to live in Israel. I mean, I think the land of Israel is great. I think everybody ought to go visit Israel, but I've, I've been there. And um, I remember saying to one of my professors, saying to him, I says, boy, it sure doesn't look like the land of milk and honey to me. <laughs> and he told me these very words. He says, it's out there, but you've got to be willing to dig it out. You've got to be willing to just, I mean, Israel is nothing like living here in America or Canada or some of the other beautiful countries in the world. Now, don't take that as an insult because I have friends that live in Israel. They love Israel. They wouldn't dream of moving back to the States. I have friends from Georgia that have immigrated to Israel, and that's where they live, and they love it there. But for me, the land doesn't mean that much to me personally, but it does mean a lot to me biblically and prophetically, and I hope to show you that as we go through the rest of this. So three promises that God has kept to Israel or Abraham through the years, people, relationships, and land. Now, the second thing I want you to see is Moses was to be God's instrument for fulfilling these three promises. Moses was to be the Lord's instrument. Now, if you remember when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, it wasn't long till they began to what? Complain, whine, yeah, good words. It wasn't long until they began to complain. And it also wasn't long until they began to want to go back to Egypt, remember that? And it wasn't long until they made an idol for themselves and they began to worship that idol. It wasn't long until God had dealt with them about all that. They got to the very edge of the promised land. And sometimes I think about this when I see people give up. They're right there on the edge, but they just go, I can't keep on. When you can't keep on, that's when you really have to lean into the Lord, for his strength is greater. Paul said, I pled with the Lord to take some things away from his life. But he says, God says, my strength will be greater in your weakness. So the children of Israel rebelled against the Lord, and because they did, God condemned that generation. I shouldn't say condemned, but God judged that generation by saying they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the next generation was ready to come. Here's what I want you to know. All of us are going to go through wilderness experiences. Look at me and listen online. You might want to write this down on the side. All of us are going to go through wilderness experiences. There is no promised land without the wilderness. There is no holy land without the wilderness. And there is no fulfillment of what God's plan for you is in this life without going into the wilderness. Now, don't let the wilderness frighten you. I've been in the wilderness in Israel, and i got to tell you, it can be a bleak-looking place. 
But sitting there on what's called the valley of the shadow of death and realizing that, that that's where Jesus fasted for those 40 days and 40 nights. But it was also that wilderness where Saul in his hatred tried to kill David. In the wilderness, Saul's hatred led him to try and murder David. In the wilderness with Saul hunting him, David's heart became bigger and bigger for God because in the wilderness he sought the Lord and God met him in the wilderness. What Saul couldn't do because he had his eyes on his hatred, his prejudice, his jealousy, David was able to do because despite the wilderness he kept his eyes on God. You're going to find what you're looking for in the wilderness. You're either going to find your hatred nourished or you're going to find grace that is sufficient in the Lord. And so you know the story of the children of Israel, and eventually even Moses got so frustrated. Remember, one time God told him to speak to the rock, and all the water came out, and everybody was so happy. Another time God told him to, to speak to the rock again, and he, he smote the rock, and that doesn't look like a big deal to us, but disobedience is a big deal. And Moses, in his anger, said, shall I give you? I mean, it was all about Moses at that point. You know you're getting bitter in the wilderness when it becomes all about you and not the glory of God. And he slapped that rock, and again, the people cheered because there was water, but that kept Moses out of the promised land. You will always find grace in the wilderness if you'll stay humble before the Lord. It's important, though, for this passage and for this book to understand God intended for Moses to do this. Moses then said these words, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. In other words, Moses was giving us one of those messianic prophecies. Just some things I think maybe you ought to, to take note of tonight. Moses and Jesus were both born during a persecution. Pharaoh was trying to kill the Jews, the Jewish boys. Herod was trying to kill the Jewish boys. Moses and Jesus were both hunted by a king. Pharaoh hunted Moses. Herod hunted Jesus. Moses and Jesus both left the land of Egypt. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Jesus' uh, father, Joseph, earthly father, Joseph, his adopted father, had to take him to Egypt, and then God brought him out of there. Moses begins teaching the law, but Jesus explained and fulfilled the law as he began to teach the Beatitudes to give us the spirit of the law, but he also fulfilled the law, fulfilled all righteousness. So the third thing I'd like you to see from this passage tonight is God's people are his most precious possession. God's people are his most precious possession. Anyone who harms you harms my most precious possession. What's your most precious possession tonight? I mean, if you were to stop and think about it, what is the thing that's most precious to you? Most of the time when you ask people, if your house was to burn down, what's the first thing you'd grab? And people say their photo albums. Now it would be the iPhone because that's where all the pictures, or your Galaxy phone, that's where all the pictures are at. You know, I couldn't even tell you where our photo albums are at right now because we use digital so much. But when you think about the things that people fight and steal and kill for, like the war in Ukraine, it's going on tonight because 
Putin's decided that he, and, and, and I say that deliberately tonight, the Russian people are not our enemy. Putin is the one that is our enemy and that is attacking. Most of the Russians don't want this, and there's so many defections, and we continue to pray for Ukraine. Sunday morning, we'll be making a special offering and appeal to help Convoy of Hope. They're actually on the ground right now ministering and serving the refugees coming out of Ukraine, up to 2 million refugees right now. So we want to be able to participate in that. There is a phrase in our English language that comes from the Bible. How many of you have ever heard of this? He's the apple of his, she's the apple of his or her eye. That comes from the Bible. Look at the New American Standard translation, which the reason I bring this out is not because of the sentiment, but because there's a lot of meaning here. This is actually, the New American Standard is a, is a literal word for word. This is actually a more accurate translation. It's the same thing, most precious possession. But notice right there from the New American Standard, he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Now, I'm not a doctor, and I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. However, from what I have studied, the eye is the most sensitive organ in your body, especially the pupil. And the body and you and I do everything we can to protect the eye. Immediately, if something flies at us, we, we blink or we try to cover. We put on eye protection because the eyes are the most precious thing or the most sensitive thing in our body. And what Jesus or what God is saying here is that you are the most precious possession that he has. But he's also saying to us, Israel is his precious possession. Now, Together, we are the people of God. But I need to stop for just a moment, and I need for us to, to look at this this evening because I think this is so important. Because somebody might say, why, if God is no respecter of persons, why is Israel his chosen people? Or somebody might read the book of Romans and come to chapter 2, chapter 1 and chapter 2, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. I remember what even Jesus said. Jesus said, I come first to the children of Israel. Well, the simple fact of the matter is it goes all the way back to this Abrahamic covenant where God first announced his salvation plan through the Jewish people. That entire covenant that I just took you through, those three promises, was so that the Jewish people, the Abraham's descendants, become a blessing to the world and reveal who God was in this fallen paganistic world that we lived in. Jesus, get this, Jesus is a direct descendant of Abraham. And that line stops in him. And there are Jewish people that would disagree with me on this, and, and that's okay. But that genealogy that has been so important through the Old Testament all of a sudden, you don't find it following through in the rest of the New Testament. Because that genealogy stops in Jesus because it's through Christ that the rest of us come in to enjoy the blessings that he had promised to the rest of the world through the Abrahamic covenant. And so you and I are a part of Israel today because the Word of God says that Israel is not just those after the flesh, but it's a matter of faith. Abraham believed long before there was a law. Abraham believed long before there was a Moses. God called Abraham. So I think that's so important to understand. And so that'll help you understand. The gospel came first to the Jewish people through Jesus preaching. And then, mm, 
I don't want to stay too long on this because this, this just gets better and better to me. The church was born on the day of Pentecost. Remember, God is saying to his people, come out of Babylon, come back to me. It's not just come to Jerusalem, it's come back to me. And the church was born when all of Israel gathered from every nation, tribe, and tongue, the Bible says, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. That's the day the Holy Spirit fell and the church was born. That remnant community gathered in Jerusalem and then... From there, they scattered and went over the world to preach the good news of Christ, that we could all be a part of this covenant through Jesus. Isn't that good news? I mean, that's just absolutely the, the imagery here. And that's the reason, and we, we'll deal with this more when we get about chapter 9. That's the reason that Zechariah is called the second Isaiah. Isaiah is known as the gospel in the nutshell. Zechariah is known like is the second Isaiah because all of the gospel is right here. Such a powerful and wonderful book. Well, let's go on to number four. God's call to flee Babylon is a call to come to him. God's call to flee Babylon, it's not so much about separating yourself from the evil, though that's part of it. I don't mean to minimize that. But if you go back and read this, God's calling the people back to himself. Remember, I've, I've said this every week in the messages. Haggai was encouraging them to build the temple. Zechariah was preaching revival-oriented messages. Come back to the Lord. So, if you will, here's what I'd like you to look at. There is freedom in the presence of the Lord. Sin confines you. Sin binds you. Whenever somebody tells me occasionally, oh, the church is so legalistic, or oh, the church is, you know, you can't have any fun if you're, listen, sin binds you. The Bible says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The gospel is not about legalism. When you get new life in Jesus Christ, you are free to really live. You are free to be joyful. And I know, I, 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 I admit, some Christians look like they've been drinking pickle juice through a gas pipe. They haven't experienced the gospel. They haven't experienced the good news. They're still trying to earn it by good works. God's delivered us from that. But God has called us to a life of freedom. So real quickly, because there's so much more to go, there's freedom in the presence of the Lord. Here's what hinders our freedom, sin. And the answer to that is confession of our sins. I don't want to minimize sin, but we're called to come into the presence of the Lord. And when we sin, we have an advocate, First John says, we go to him, we confess our sins, he forgives us. Scars hinders our freedom. Some of us wrestle with scars that emotional, psychological, spiritual. Some of us wrestle with deep scars. And the only answer to that is, is through good biblical counseling, not just going to any old counselor. I, I can't tell you how many times people have come to me that have gone to a non-Christian counselor and the counselor has encouraged them to do something that would put them into more bondage, like using pornography or something like that. That would put them into more bondage. But also, the third thing is shakiness. And that is when the church or when the, a family is shaky in their faith because they're not maturing, they're not growing in Christ. And the only way to get that is through a biblical culture in your home where you gather your children, your grandchildren around you, you pray, you read the Word of God together, you share together, you, you come to church and you worship together, you take communion together. We do that through building a biblical culture. It's called maturity. It's why at Woodland, we don't just say we want people to be Christians. We want them to become passionate 
followers of Christ. We want them to be fully devoted, fully mature, and growing in Jesus. So let's just look at a couple of verses here. Come away, flee from Babylon, Zechariah 2, verse 6, and then in verse 10, I am coming to live among you. I don't know about you, but that just kind of puts goosebumps on me. God saying, I am going to live among you. Can I tell you something? Look at me right here. And you online too, look at me right here. Jesus is among us tonight. Jesus is among us. My grandsons love to play a little game, and I'm no good at it. I get on there with them, and it's called Among Us. Have any of you heard of that game? It's a very popular online, Among Us. And what it is is somebody is the assassin on there and secretly kills you, and then you're, you're out of the game. So I've told him, I said, you know, there's another among us, you know, and that's Jesus. And he comes not to kill and to steal and to destroy, but to bring life. And they go, okay, Papa, let's go back to the game. You know, don't ever get tired of the fact that Jesus is among us. In Isaiah chapter 48, verse 20, yet even now, be free from your captivity. Leave Babylon and the Babylonians. Sing out the message. Shout it to the ends of the earth. The Lord has redeemed his servants, the people of Israel. Babylon, from the very beginning, is a world system that rebels against God. The Tower of Ziggur, the Tower of Babel, was built at Babylon. And there, where God said, scatter, the people said, let's make ourselves a city. Let's build ourselves a city, lest we be scattered. God wanted his people to seek after him. They said, let's make ourselves a name. They built a tower so they could make astrological predictions rather than seeking the Lord. They made bricks. Bricks would become a symbol of their slavery later on. Babylon throughout has been this world system. Now listen, this is important. You'll, you'll get this when I'm finished. Babylon has just been this world system that's opposed to the kingdom of heaven. Now here's the deal. Babylon looks awfully good. Babylon looks awfully cool. Babylon's where the money's at. Babylon's where the excitement is at. Babylon is where the entertainment is at. Babylon is where the status is at. Babylon, that's where you want to be if you want to keep on moving up to the top, Wheezy. Those of you old enough to remember that, you got it. Sometimes, you got to stop and think about this. God's saying, flee all of that. Babylon is cool. I mean, the Jewish people, Jeremiah told them, build homes. They had done well in Babylon. I mean, if you read the book of Ezra, they made some significant donations I mean, huge donations. They had done well in Babylon. You can do well in Babylon. God's calling them back to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is a rubble. Jerusalem is a pile of ruins. You've seen the smoldering homes and the buildings, the bombed-out maternity hospital today that Putin's army is, is doing to Ukraine. Jerusalem was leveled worse than that. And God says, leave that and come here. You know what the attractive thing was? God says, I'm going to live among you. And I've got to be honest. Sometimes compared to what the world has to offer, the church can look kind of drab. The church can look like we're not with it. I mean, we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. We believe that sex is to be reserved for marriage. We believe God calls us to tithe of our income and to give first 10% to the Lord. We believe a lot of things that compared to the world, that's just not the world's system. So it's important when we read these passages to go, you know what? This still applies to me. I can learn from this. So when people tell me I don't like to read the, the Old Testament, they really don't know what they're talking about. 
you know, that's just my humble, honest, but correct opinion. Okay, let's keep going. Number five, then he says, celebrate God's presence. Celebrate. That's what we do here at Woodland. We celebrate God's presence. I mean, it's a part of our vision statement and mission statement here at the church. Look at Zechariah chapter 2, verse 10 through 13, the last of these verses tonight. The Lord says, shout and rejoice, O beautiful Jerusalem, for I am coming to live among you. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day, and they too will be my people. I will live among you. You will know that the Lord of heaven's army sent me to you. The land of Judah will be the Lord's special possession in the Holy Land, and he will once again choose Jerusalem to be his holy city. Be silent before the Lord, all humanity, for he is springing into action from his holy dwelling. So God is saying, come out of Babylon, come to me and celebrate in my presence. Now, this is key. This is important as we kind of get ready to go into our growth work here. Number one, please, please remember this. Wherever the Lord is, he makes the wilderness, he makes the desert to blossom like a garden. Wherever the Lord is, water will come forth from the rock. Not because Moses spoke to it or Moses smacked it. Wherever the Lord is, not because of who the pastor is or who the teachers are, but because of the presence of the Lord, there will always be more than enough. God is not hindered by rubble or by wilderness. God is not intimidated by Babylon. God is looking for a people that will love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. This prophecy has not been completely fulfilled yet as we looked at last week. Part of it is, is waiting till the millennial kingdom. And we don't have time to go into that tonight. We can discuss some of that later if you want to. But it's waiting to be fulfilled. Right now, Jerusalem needs its allies. Israel needs its allies. It needs its iron dome because of the missiles and all that's launched at it. But the day is coming when Jesus will reign supreme and her enemies will be defeated. So what is this saying to us tonight? Number one, I think it's saying, sing and rejoice when you worship. When we come into this sanctuary, don't be late. Don't just come for the preaching of the word, but come and worship the Lord with us. Sing with us. Join us if you can't be here online. Take communion with us and sing and rejoice. Sing for joy. Be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst. Listen, we're part of Zion. That's who God's speaking to is you and me tonight, not just to these people, but to you and me. But there's another side of worship that's not just singing and rejoicing, it's be silent. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Does something grab you right there? We get the be silent part, but do you get the imagery? He is aroused from his holy habitation. God never slumbers. God never sleeps. You don't have to wake up God. The picture here is of a sleeping giant getting up off his throne. Remember I said last week when you see measuring taking place, that means God's getting ready to do something big. The sleeping giant is about to get up off his throne, and he's about, about to go, and this gets so exciting to me. He's getting ready to do something big. God never slumbers or sleeps, but he wants you to get this image. Remember in the fairy tales when the good giant would wake up and he would defeat all of the enemies. That's what God is saying here. Your God is an awesome God. He's an awesome God. I was praying and um, give me about two minutes and I'll wrap this up. I was praying this afternoon. I said, Lord, I need a song. I, a song that we sing at the church that 
somehow or another brings these two together. Sing and celebrate, sing and rejoice, and be quiet. And I couldn't think of one, so I scanned through. I have a list of almost of all the songs we sing at Woodland Courses, and I couldn't find one. So I'm coming down Telegraph Road today, and I just prayed that prayer. I said, Lord, I need a song to illustrate this. And suddenly, a song from my youth back in the 70s. Does anybody remember Chuck Gerard and Love Song? You do? Oh, I thought you raised your hand. You, you surprised me. Uh, Chuck Gerard was part of that Jesus revival. You know, it was just tremendous. But he wrote a song, and I'm going to read it to you. I love singing it, but I'm not very good with it. It's called Sometimes Hallelujah. So just listen to this. Sometimes Hallelujah. Sometimes praise the Lord, sometimes gently singing our hearts in one accord. And then listen to the verses. Oh, let us lift our voices, look toward the sky and start to sing. Oh, let us now return his love, just let our voices ring. Oh, let us feel his presence, let the sound of praises fill the air. Oh, let us sing the song of Jesus' love to people everywhere. Oh, let our joy be unconfined. Let us sing with freedom unrestrained. Let's take this feeling that we're feeling now outside these walls and let it rain. Oh, let the Spirit overflow as we are filled from head to toe. We love you, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and we want this world to know. Sometimes hallelujah, sometimes praise the Lord, sometimes gently singing, our hearts in one accord. That song totally encapsulates every point of this message tonight. Write down, O Holy Spirit, overflow in us so that when we go outside of this place, we take the love of Jesus. Well, let me just go over the growth work with you real quickly. Don't keep the joy to yourself. Share the love of Jesus. Can I plead with you tonight, especially those of you watching alone, online, don't ever forget our mission statement. We're going to look at that in just a second, but don't ever forget our mission statement. Number two, Pray, give, and go. Those are contrary to Babylon. Pray, give, and go. Number three, don't build walls around the church. I watched a movie a number of years ago. I showed it here at the church. I showed a clip of it from here at the church. Whoopi Goldberg was, was a convict that was on the run, and she came. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And she began to help the choir get together. The church had built a fence, big, high fence around it to keep everybody out because this was a holy place, you know. And she finally says, you don't, this doesn't exist for us in here. So take the fence down and, and boy, the revival that took place in this subdivision. I use that as an illustration. The church is to be going out with the good news, sharing every single day. And then store up treasures in heaven and remember our mission statement. Celebrate God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ. I want to pray for you. And if you've been wondering why I've been taking my glasses on and off, I got my iPad late tonight, and I didn't have time to enlarge the print, so I can't even see it without my glasses on tonight. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you overflow our hearts with your amazing love and grace. And God, these are not words that we wrote 22, 23 years ago. These are words that we live. We want to celebrate you, Lord. You are in our presence. We want to celebrate your love, Father, by singing and rejoicing sometimes just being silent. And we want to persuade others to become passionate followers of Christ and to flee Babylon, to flee this world's systems and to run to Jesus. And so I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ that you would bless us and anoint us and use us for your glory and honor. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. You know, before you go tonight, I would just ask you to do one thing. Ask yourself this question before you go to bed tonight. Sit down, take your journal, take your Bible, and ask yourself this. Spiritually, am I living in Babylon or am I living in Jerusalem? Am I attracted to the coolness of Babylon or am I attracted to the cross of Jesus? God bless you. Good night. I'll see you Sunday morning. Thank you.